try to give it a little bit. I speak out of there because it frames what I'd like to say perfectly. And um, the idea of self in, in, in recovery is this, that's the small self. It's not the universal self. It's what some people would call the ego. For me, I, I, it represents a feeling of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Yeah? It's actually a feeling more than a thought. The thoughts are the obsession that, that uh, reinforce the feeling. So it's not just a thought that you're a self. It's a feeling, a vague one that you can't put your finger on, but it's a sense of when you wake up, it's you that's waking up, that you. Mostly coming out of the uh, interpretation of body stimulation. The feelings of the body are taken to be yours. And the same thing with thoughts. The thoughts, many people, that they see thoughts, the mind sees the thoughts, but they also have audio. You hear the thought. And it has the sound of a voice that you call yours, yeah? But it's just coming out of this body. But the identification as the body causes you to believe it's your voice, which makes you hear it. It's like a siren song to you. If it's your voice, you're more apt to hear it than if you had, let's say, Mother Teresa's voice on the thoughts. You'd see them clearer. You'd have some wisdom about them. But when you think they're yours, you have almost no wisdom about them. So in AA, we talk about conscious contact. And from the doing and having of the old way, it seems like you're in conscious contact, and you can improve conscious contact. I believe we are the conscious contact. I don't believe we are conscious contact. Yeah? We're not, it's not Paul that's consciously in contact. It's just conscious contact. But what I've noticed with the selfing, I like to call it a verb, because there's no noun. There's no self, in a sense. It's a verb of mind that creates an illusion of a noun. So the selfing claims, that's one of its main activities. It claims or becomes a proprietor thereof or has, yes? It's a, that's, that's its movement. So the conscious contact is really what Buddha said to sort of a way of traveling through life, which is when you see, see, when you hear, hear, when you taste, taste, when you feel, feel, when you touch, touch. That's the conscious contact, yes? The consciousness is in contact with this world through those avenues, feeling. And then the thoughts and the mind seeing thoughts is the sixth sense in Buddhism. So that's the conscious contact, seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, hearing. But the interpretation from the conditioned mind is I'm hearing, I'm seeing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching. So immediately the demonstration of your nature in beingness, which is in the conscious contact, is hijacked or commandeered by the conditioned mind and self-centeredness. Because the conditioned mind claims the conscious contact and says, I'm hearing. But you know damn well you're not hearing. Because if your ears turn towards that street, you're going to hear the sirens, even if you don't want to hear the sirens. It's not up to you. And if a bird flies by this door and I'm looking at it, I'm going to see the bird. Now I may have a thought, I don't want to see that bird, but I saw the bird. The conscious contact is so. But the interpretation of it is when the story begins. So conscious contact, all day, that's the ground of, that's the antidote to the seeming dilemma. Yeah? So the conscious contact is being hijacked, and it's, it's called to be, I'm having this conscious contact. So I'm seeing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting. And of course, there's a dualistic constraint on this thinking mind, which is so that it either wants to hear it or not want to hear it. So it has a desire, I want that that I saw, or I don't want it. And on and on and on, and it geometrically progresses the selfing. Yeah? But it, it lives on and thrives on what's already so, which is conscious contact. But when the conscious contact is hijacked by the narrative, it tends to cause you to seem to be unconscious to the fact that you are the conscious contact. And then as soon as you're in that state of being unconscious to that fact, then maybe you may get one of the worst bites of all, which is the spiritual seeking bite. <laughs> now you'll want to try to get conscious contact. Yeah? But you're actually trying to get what you can't get because you are the conscious contact. But to the claiming of the self, you're not. See, And you have the option, I can be conscious or unconscious. Or I can be spiritual or not spiritual. I can be this or I can be that. And then it just pontificates on that all day. But in fact... The bottom line, it's choicelessness. All there is is that conscious contact. That's it. 
all there is. So the antidote to the seeming poison is always available while you're drinking the poison. To me, that's love, in a sense. That's true love, because it's always available at all times with no requirement necessary to meet it. It's just entertaining it. So in AA, we talk about obsession with self. And I believe everyone is suffering from the initial disease of self-centeredness. Everyone is recovering from something. And a lot of times you'll hear about alcoholism and think you're different. But it's just an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness. In other words, self-centeredness is painted with a broader stroke. It gets a little more volcanic and, you know, earthquake-ish out there when you're drinking and using. But the same dilemma is at hand which is this identification as what you're not. And so in AA, they brought it back to that. They said, you know, the root of the problem is uh, obsession with self. So I just came along in my humble way now, and I'm just attempting to not actually subtract from that and say, I believe it's identification as self. Yeah? And it's not a tattoo that I received. It's a mental activity my mind is doing. It's a verb. My conditional mind is is identifying as self all day, and I call that selfing. So the conscious contact is what illuminates that. The only thing that that allows that activity to occur is that you're conscious. It could not happen without that as the basis. But in that activity, if you get obsessed with it or identified as it, it causes you to be unconscious to your natural fact, that all you are is that consciousness. And then, of course, when you're unconscious, seemingly unconscious, maybe you'll want to become conscious. But you don't realize that, to me, we call it irritable, restless, and discontent. When you've forgotten your real nature, that's one of the consequences. You'll start feeling this irritability, restless, and discontentment. And your body alarm is pretty good, but what answers the alarm is the problem. Yes, The identification is in place, so the problem goes to the alarm and answers it, but it actually adds gas to the fire. Because now it goes, okay, I want to leave this dilemma, but it doesn't know that it travels away seemingly from the dilemma as the dilemma. And that's the, that's the big dilemma, I feel, here. So there's an old story I use a lot. I think it came from India, and it's about the sheep and the lion, or the lion, yeah? There's a young lion and, there's a, and, a, it's, and, a, and a mother, and they're running around, and the mother dies, and so the young lion is orphaned. And so the young lion is wandering around, doesn't know what to do, can't take care of itself, and it sees a, sh- a herd of sheep, and it decides to run after those sheep with the hopes that they'll, you know, accept them. But the sheep see it as a lion, and a little afraid, but then they realize this freaking lion doesn't even know it's a lion. So they sort of accept it into their little herd of sheep, and then the lion tries to become like a sheep. You know, it starts, you know, talking about who's going to be the next sweater next year, and the barring, and he's practicing, but it's not feeling that satisfied. Something's a little bit off. But he's doing his best. You know? So four or five years, it's now living in this herd of sheep. And then one day, a big lion comes down into the field looking to eat some food. And it starts running after the herd. And it looks out of the side of its eye, and he sees this young lion. And it thinks, hey, this young lion is joining the hunt. But then it realizes the young lion is running away from him. So he stops hunting the sheep. He goes right after that young lion. And the young lion turns on its back and says, hey, please, Mr. Lion, don't eat me. I'm just a humble sheep. The old lion's very perplexed, grabs it, and drags it to this pond of water, and sticks both their heads over, and then the young lion sees the reflection of the old lion and wakes up. It immediately realizes it's a lion. And as soon as the old lion says, roar, it roars. It doesn't have to take four months of workshops on how to roar. It doesn't have to go to a retreat, a roaring retreat. It wakes up to its nature. Even though it had five seeming long, arduous years of sheeping, in one second of revelation, the sheeping was over. Yeah? It woke up immediately. Immediately. Because it recognized its nature. That's exactly what, to me, this is like. But there's a little bit of a dilemma, in a sense, because a lot of times, let's say I go, hey, you're a lion, and that's the message. You're a lion. You're a lion. And you go, no, well, yeah, you really like that message. Yeah, yeah. But as the message is traveling to you, <laughs> and it hits your ear, it turns your, your sheep ear, yeah? It's like your sheep ear catches it before the lion gets it, yeah? So the sheep ear catches it, and it translates it without maybe you knowing, and it says, oh, I can become like a lion. Because that's as far as it can entertain, because it believes it's a sheep. It cannot entertain that it's a lion, because there's a previous belief that it's a sheep. 
So it says, I can become like a lion. So now it starts thinking, hey, I want to become like a lion. And it talks to some other sheep and who are disgruntled with the sheep world. And they go, okay, we're going to meet every Friday night. Is this Friday night? Every Friday night. And we're going to get some, uh, we're going to get some lion pictures. You have insect pictures. Let's say they're lion pictures. We're going to get lion pictures. We're going to get little candles. And we're going to, hey, this is the oldest, most venerable lion. It roared once for three months. So, uh, <laughs> stories and pontificating, what it would be like to be a lion, the courage and the valor and intensity and the strength. Yes, I've been meditating like crazy to become like a lion. Roaring classes every Saturday morning. You know. They all sound like bars, but, you know. <laughs> They're trying their best. <laughs> so it seems very noble. They think it's noble. I mean, what more noble endeavor for a sheep to do is to become like a lion. But that's not the message. The message is you're a lion. But if you hear it with sheep ears, the best your head will do is, I can become like a lion. And that's not the message. Because it's the greatest way to hide your lion this is to try to become like one. Because your prior identification is solidly in place. It's not threatened at all. It will let you become like a lion for years after years after years. It has no problem you going to retreats four months, six months, going to the temples, Himalayas, anything, you know. It, could, it just absorbs it all because it's not threatened at all because you're becoming like a lion. But the sheep is definitely, definitely taking to be your nature. This is like questioning that. You know? So to me, as, as someone who invites people to entertain this, I have, a, in a way, a responsibility because I've got to be like an ear doctor. I've got to make sure how they're hearing it. Because if they're hearing it with those sheep ears... <laughs> See, I don't... You know, I give them not, nothing, really. I don't do retreats much. I have no meditations. I'm not gonna, you're not going to get anything from me. That's the message. You're going to leave here with nothing. Because all we've done our whole life is get something. That's all we do. We keep acquiring something and more something and more something. The best gift is absolutely, absolutely nothing. You'll be left with you. Yeah. So, in this thing of the identification as the self, knowing that it claims, it also has another strong uh, momentum, which is knowing, period. Yeah. And in that sense of knowing, there's a great lady, I can read it, if I can find it here, I'd like to read it. Yeah. I think I brought it though. Well, doesn't matter, but she talks about this knowing. This sense of knowing is really the source of your your uh, disturbance and agitation of mind. It's really the state of unknowing, which is the really the secure state. What we call security is knowing, and knowing. See, in a sense, knowing being kills being. You can't know being. Yeah. You can't put being, yeah, or living under a a, a plate of glass. You've lost its essence. The essence is its verb. The verb is being. This thing wants to know everything, which, dead, which deadens the aliveness of everything. It rather know something than actually have, have, you know, sense it completely or get absorbed in it. It wants to know it, like put it under glass, and now I know the truth. There is no way in hell you can ever know the truth, because you are the truth. You cannot be a subject to the only thing that is a subject. But this sense of knowing, you can't capture a verb and make it a noun. A noun can never understand a verb. And if you're identified as a body, you're a noun. And that noun will never understand what it is like to be. Because being is a verb. It's something you have to travel with. And by traveling as it, it intimates its qualities, at least the way it expresses to you. You can't study it, you can't meditate on it, you can't become a scholar over, over it. You have to, there's a living of it. That's, to me anyway, that's how it goes. You live it. And then by living it, it reveals some of its nature to you. As, almost as Jesus says, you'll know the tree by the fruit. You can never know the tree, but you can get an intimation of the tree by the fruit. So when there's an entertaining of it, and an entertaining is like, You'll know it in your gut. I don't see some people say you got to know in your heart. I think it has to go even farther. I think it's got to be in the gut. But when you know it from the gut, you'll know it. Yeah. And then there's intimations about it as you're living it. But you can't study it. You can't know it. You can't stop it because it's being. If you try to stop it to fit you, you've lost the whole essence of it. 
So for me, the whole basic premise of a self is a deterrent of this knowledge. So I looked at it, when I got this information, you know, I had been meditating for years, like many of us probably. I was going to Thailand, three-week retreats, getting bit by mosquitoes, you know, eating lousy food, meditating 13 hours, having tons of spiritual experiences, nothing radical ever changed. <laughs> you know, it went on and on and on. Then one day, somebody, I was looking for a new meditation technique, and they said, why not ask who's the meditator? And that little change of direction changed everything. And what I saw is this conscious contact has a movement. It goes to things, yes, here. So I become aware of things, thoughts of things also. Yeah? And then there's another movement that goes back. But it's been hijacked, and when it does, it gets hijacked to go to selfing. Yeah? So your conscious contact with things becomes a mode of, a mode of self-reflection. So every time there's contact, you believe you're in it. And then you have a lot of opinions about that contact. And so this energy goes this way. One aspect goes out, and I meet you consciously. And then it goes this way, and it, and it goes into this black hole of selfing, I feel. Yeah? Which, you know, I see everyone in this room has tons of faith. Everyone. To me, it's a potential. It's, it manifests here by the vehicle you put it in. Many people are putting faith in their thoughts, or they're relying on this idea of being a self, which is totally unreliable, and that faith manifests anxiety. Because if you believe in your thoughts, you basically live in interpretation of what's not happening. You live in what's not happening, and in what's not happening, it is the greatest field for the crop called anxiety. So you manufacture, you harvest this crop all day through the thoughts, and unfortunately, it doesn't get left in what's not happening, it downloads in this what's happening. And so you feel, the, you feel what we call a physiological emotion of fear, but it's produced by anxiety. You have the physiological effects of fear, which maybe in a life that was lucky you'd have maybe 20 times your whole life, a real moment of fear. You're having it 20 times in a, three hours. The body is this mind is just buzzing you all day. <laughs> From what's not happening. So this whole idea of listening to the thoughts is how you go to what's not happening. Because the biggest what's not happening is you, as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. <laughs> That's how you went to the club of what's not happening. You have the membership. Because you're not happening. <laughs> But there you go and watch that happening. <laughs> so here I am in Friday, yeah, Friday night. <laughs> but I'm in next mythical Tuesday. And in next mythical Tuesday, see, in what's not happening, anything can happen. Remember, <laughs> a very important point. In what's not happening, anything can happen. That means I can have cancer next Friday. Yeah. I can be, my girlfriend may be sleeping with my best friend next Friday. I may want to have a preemptive strike tonight to stop that. <laughs> <laughs> <I mean, laughs> a lot of things can happen in, in that. Because anything can happen what's not happening. There's no limitation except for your imagination. But what's beautiful there is something called what's happening. Now, what's happening, really there's only one thing that's happening what's happening, which is what's happening. It may be boring to the mind, to the brain, but it is what's happening. And it has the one quality, what's not happening, doesn't have, which is, it's happening. This is, the ex this is the experience of being here, in a way. Being in contact, yeah. The conscious contact is happening. And also, it doesn't stop there. You can also have conscious contact with the arising of selfing. If you're not identified as the self, you'll have immunity to it, and you'll see it just like you would see a tree. You would see its manufacturing, you'd see its reinforcement, and there would be a clear, 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 obvious underlying sense that I'm not that. That's the immunity to it. Nothing has to change at all, because everything that's going on is illuminated by what we are, that awareness. So actually, in a sense, nothing has to change. What has to sort of change, in a way, is the emphasis. Instead of on what you're conscious of, just sensing the consciousness of it. 
instead of on what you're conscious of. And the reason why we are so interested in the idea of being a self, because we think we're it. And I found it's not a great virtue. You don't have to spend 20 years staying on your head. Really, what I found is simply like expressed this way. Let's say there's a girl in the other room that I like. She doesn't know I like her. I'm already married to her, but I haven't said anything to her yet. I'm thinking, I, but I want to make a move, but I want to make sure it'd be all right. You know, I want to be successful. I don't want to lose face, obviously. Personal. So I'm listening intently. I'm supposed to be in this room, but I'm really not in the room. You know, and I'm not really in what's happening because I'm in what's not happening, which is this room. And I'm trying to listen to what she has to say about me. <laughs> and people are going, Paul, you're supposed to be doing this talk. And I know I am, but I can't seem to help myself because I'm really interested. And they go, come on, someone actually tries to pull me. And I go, yeah, I'd really like to go with you, but I'm really interested in this. Yeah. But as soon as I hear that she's talking about Matt, I lose interest immediately. That's exactly what happens with self there's no secret blessing you have to get or a handshake or anything like that. If you entertain it's not you, you'll naturally lose interest in it because it's not about you. It's as simple as that. It is so, it's unbelievable. As soon as I entertain I wasn't the self and all the thoughts about self I lost interest in. For years I've been struggling with them, trying to meditate through them, trying to purify myself from them and all this. And then I just realized... If they're not, if, as soon as they weren't about me, I totally lost interest in them. <laughs> and you can see it very easily. Someone comes over to your house and they're selfing, and you're so bored in like two minutes. Christ, <laughs> you just want to say, go help somebody. Stop thinking so much about whatever. But you'll be having the same dialogue and thinking, it's, you've been listening to it for 40 years and thinking it's very interesting. Why is that? They're the same thoughts. <laughs> Their thoughts you're calling theirs. This thought you're calling yours. That's the bondage to it. The bondage to self is not on the thought side or on the object side. It's on the selfing side. The selfing bonds to the thoughts by my and why. So if you put money up here as a word and sex, and let's say sex again, yeah? <laughs> Everyone would look at that and have a meaning, yeah? If you weren't having sex, it maybe mean more than if you are having sex. But all I need is one word to change everything, and it's the word my, my money. Much more different, eh? Doesn't it weigh a lot more? My money than money? My sex definitely weighs a lot more. <laughs> my sex definitely weighs a lot more. My sex definitely <laughs> That's the meaning of it. Not sex, not money, not this, not that. It's the my. The my is the act of identification, and it is a verb. It is not a noun. You've never been tattooed with a self, nor will you ever be tattooed. It's an impression that's being produced by you listening to your narrative in your head. It has to be reinforced because it's not real. It cannot stand on its own. It constantly has to be reinforced. And our language does it, and the narrative does it, yes, and our perceptions do it. They're constantly there telling us how we are this long-lasting, separate, independent entity. And if you're this, you are not that. Therefore, the best you can do is try to become it, which means you're going to seek. And you're never going to find, because you're, you are what you're looking for. Like St. Francis says, what's looking is what you're looking for. I like to use the word what's seeing, because I don't like looking. I think looking, which we're running into here every day, this is a new form of looking, at vital in a sense. And it's a way of blindness, really. It's another way of blindness. The mind, self, in mind and selfing can use at vital just as easily as anything else it's come in contact with. Definitely. So in AA, we talk in recovery or whatever, if you have any dilemma. But for me, I come from there. And alcoholism is like a way of looking. And it creates a huge distortion in your life. I like to look at it as a parasite. I draw a picture. Of course it isn't, but I like to even look at self, like self-centeredness as a parasite. And the parasite has taken over the host. Yeah? And like for me, my golden years were between two and four when I was a kid, literally. I have very strong, not a memory of particulars, but a sense there was freedom there. Like when I was playing, there was no worrying about will I be playing next week because I didn't have a concept of next week yet. Yeah? My mother could have been super fat and ugly, but I loved her no matter what, because I had no concept of beauty yet. Yeah? I didn't know, I didn't have any narrative going, 
oh, you're playing, Paul. No, it was just playing. Yeah, it was just total conscious contact with what was going on. And there was a wonder and awe and a lot of other things in that, just that situation. Then I seemed to outgrow it into introspection. And I got my attention, instead of being on conscious contact, I, my conscious contact started to attending the thoughts about what I thought I was. Okay. And how many times have you, you know, when was the last time you actually experienced walking into a room? Because most of the time people are just experiencing thinking about walking into a room. So you walk in a room and you think, did anyone see me? Are my pants too short? Is my zipper up? And this and that. You're not, you're not even conscious of the walking in the room. All you're conscious of is the narrative about it. That's the self thing. And it causes us to live as if we're unconscious. And then the worst thing is you may want to try to become conscious, God forbid. Because if you're all there is is consciousness, trying to become conscious is a very... <laughs> you'll always go back to your reality of being unconscious. You, can't, you cannot have a one-sided coin here. The mind is dualistic in nature. If it believes it can attain and achieve something, it can believe it can lose it. If you believe that you did... If there's any relevance that your head is writing the self into your life, then that relevance will be will backfire. Because it will always claim that it had something to do with something that had nothing to do with. And if it does, then it will have something to do to undo it. Yeah. So people feel like they're connected, then they think they're disconnected. Then they're connected. There's no connected or disconnected. There always is the seeing of it. There is no getting close so far. You ever see, remember those games when... They someone hide something in a yard and they go, all right, warm, you're getting warmer. Yeah. That's like spiritual seeking. Warm, 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 hot, cold. <laughs> Three months retreat. Warm, warm, hot, cold. Six months retreat. <laughs> it's that whole game because the self is always wants to be relevant. It wants to have a say in the condition it's trying to convey to you as. It's ridiculous. That's the immunity to it. First it may start because you'll lose interest in it, and then there's a point where the emphasis will shift on the conscious contact, not on the narration of it. And then it will seem like nothing ever really happened. Because in fact, there's just been one extended, if you want to call it a moment, that has never had any deviation or break. Yeah, every day is just like a, a, like a, like almost a vapor trail amidst that. So the particulars of a day get under-emphasized and you sense the, the wholeness of it. It's a beautiful way to travel. I call it traveling lighter. Yeah. And the proof is in the pudding. It'll intimate itself to you while you're, while you're doing it. You're not doing it, obviously. You're going along with it. It's that sense of being... So when a verb meets a verb, there's an understanding. When a noun tries to meet a verb, there's a neutering. There's a neutering of the verb. If you want to be, if you want to have this as a noun, you lost it. Can't be had. So so this idea of looking out this way, seeing things, and then looking back but that getting hijacked to see only self or become self-reflection, yeah? That's why if you like self-inquiry, it's a beautiful method to have to, to sort of manipulate a pause in one's life or a startling of the selfing. Because this energy goes usually out and asks, what is that? So we're going to say, who am I? And this energy always goes this way. So when this goes, who am I? This actually turns around and meets it. And it sees its original face, yeah, which is nothing. Yeah. It doesn't see from this that it's obsessed over because you've called it, you've switched the polarity, basically. Because most people's attention is going out. Yeah? And then there's a bounce back and it's reflecting back on self. Yeah? Really, isn't it? Yes. Most of the time. We're just changing that. Yeah? So this energy, instead of, who are you? I'm going to ask, what am I? Yeah? So turn it this way. And then this energy that's habitually going and bouncing off the selfing, I am that, I am this, I am this, I could be that, I will be this, all this, comes here, and when they meet, there's nothing. Yeah. There's no self-reflecting. There's a 
a startling event, and there'll be a pause. That pause isn't a gap between two moments. It's, it's eternity. It's a sample of eternity in linear time. There's no constraints on that pause. That pause reveals everything. Yeah. It, re- it actually reveals its nature, which in that pause is the essence of all beingness. I um we'll just leave it at that, eh? We have questions if you like. See there's the pause, isn't it beautiful? Mm-hmm. Your mind is giving you a name and a form. 
Yeah. He's busy giving everything else the name of the form. So he's taking beingness and cutting it into nouns. <laughs>
it's amazing when you give up, you know, you realize you're not an individual, you're more individual than ever. You get more weirder than ever. <laughs> There's like no restraints anymore. You know what I mean? You just, woo! <laughs> Let it all hang out. <laughs> sense of self-centeredness. Self-centeredness to me is like a, a thought and interpretive system. It's almost like a helmet that we've been given and we put on. Yeah? And then it has this life of its own in a way. No, it, has, it tries to have your life. It doesn't have a life of its own. That's why I would call it a parasite. It needs your life to have a life of its own. It's not where, your life, where, but life.
So where does all guilt and shame rest? On the sense of being a doer. Without that, there's no, there's no place that it would even seem viable that you can entertain guilt and shame. Guilt and shame is a product of entertaining you're the doer. That's all it is. It's one of its expressions. If you entertain you're a doer, you're going to entertain guilt and shame. Your head is. That's what it does. This isn't like this. You don't. There's no pressure on you. You don't have to do anything. No, you says you no, have to I, be a I, I just, good at biting or something. I'm just struggling with that whole notion. But it, it seems like we're. It seems like I'm trying to do something. Well, I I'm is. Thinking, yeah. And everyone that goes to your recovery, are they trying to do something? To do something? And, and isn't that? No. Isn't you see, you still think that. There see, there's just doing happening. If it's just doing having, there's no place. See, that's what I mean about I wanting to be relevant. It's still trying to write itself in the story there. You're still thinking that you have a say, and now because you're going to the meeting, you're trying to do yourself out of the dilemma you're in. No, that still falls under the category that there was no doer that got here. You did not do yourself here. In other words, these are like sound absolutes in a way. It isn't like, oh, there was a time when I was the doer, and then I've been rehabilitated, and now I'm a non-doer. No, it means there was no personal doer ever in your little storyline. Yeah? That, to me, is the self is always trying to write itself in. It wants to be relevant. See, I gave up doing, and now I'm non-doing or somehow. No, there's, it, you were, the doing that brought you here was what was bringing you to the last time. There was never a you then, and there was never a you now. great news, right? If it was you that brought you here, then you can have a real valid opinion why this sucked. Yeah, but you didn't bring yourself here, so you can relax. Yeah? Really, you'd be wanting some value, because you came here, and you're a very important person. You're very special. So now you come, it's like you wander around, and the wind blew you in here, you can really relax. Yeah, this is great. You know, I'm not here to get anything, nor am I here to give you anything. I just was in New Jersey. I just go where anyone, they call me up, hey, you want to go to Toronto? If I had free will, would I ever come here in January? Literally. <laughs> really. Am I going to come to freaking Toronto on January 30th if I had anything called free will? <laughs> After living in front, yeah, I live, grew up in the East Coast. There's no freaking way I'm going to Staten Island in New Jersey. Here I am for 14 days. It had nothing to do with quote-unquote me. And you called me up or whatever? Yeah, sure. Why not? See what happens. Because there's no big pressure. If this isn't going to break me or make me. <laughs> I mean, everything doesn't hinge on tonight. It's just another blip out of many blips. Yeah? You can like me or hate me or write terrible criticisms towards my website. It doesn't matter. You know what the hell? Who cares? <laughs> Seriously. It's just another night. You know? And then it'll be a day probably tomorrow if I'm lucky or not. And then I'll wake up and probably want to eat food. And Ooh, that's doing. No, it's, that's what happens here. I eat food and just wash my face and brush my teeth, hopefully. Go out and see what happens. Hit that frigid cold. Go back in. <laughs> Who went back in? I don't care. I'll get back in. <laughs> I don't have time to ask that question. It's freezing out here. You get simple. You don't have to be so vigilant. Vigilance is also being relevant again. Selfing, wanting to be relevant. As if it has to watch over what's already so. You know. no. It's just a much more relaxing process to me. I mean, a real relaxing. It's so, to me, my experience with it is, it's like the room is just the way it is, and no one moves, and yet suddenly it just drops about ten feet. That's what it was when this started to happen. It was, it was like nothing changed, and yet something really changed. But my little conditioned head couldn't notice it because no particular name or form moved or came closer. Just the whole thing went boom. And I was like, and after time, I realized, hey, something's up. You know? I'm feeling a lot better all the time. What the hell? What did I do? <laughs> and then when I looked, no, I did nothing. What? Well, that's the answer. Yeah, all right. And then, you know, boom, just boom, boom. And then downloads happen. It's nothing to do. For me, 
get downloads because I do this. This is my seat assignment. Yeah. So I'll be just hanging around and suddenly I see something clear. And then I attempt to put it out in pictures to people so that maybe they'll see clear. Is there any point to it? No. But there's a point to it also. Yeah. Ultimately, there's no point, but there's a point here. And I don't see discriminate, you know. Non-duality can look dualistic, I'm telling you. This is non-duality. This is how it appears. You don't have to be like an Advaita Pharisee, you know, get totally caught up in the words to make it perfect. Oh, I can't say I or this or that. Get sloppy. Non-duality is very sloppy. It's everywhere. <laughs> you can't contain it. You can't clean it up. It's just everywhere. Yeah, it's just much more relaxing, I found. It's not a big deal. It's really dog shit awareness, really. It's nothing special. I don't know fireworks, nothing. You're just on all the, all the time. That's just onness. That's it. It's incessant onness. Incessant onness. It never takes a break. It doesn't blink. It doesn't have to get prepared for. It's already so. Yeah? If I go like this, I'm going to get ready for the talk. I've missed it. It's already so. It's already so before any preparations to acknowledge it as so. It's so totally so-so, it's unbearable so for the selfie. The selfie can't stand it because it can't claim it, it can't own it, it can't have it, it can't do it, it can't get it, it can't achieve it. It doesn't know what the hell to do with it, so finally it succumbs to seeing its original face. Yeah. And then you have a spiritual anatomy class. You, you recognize the difference between your face and your ass. That's what we used to say in AA. you got to know the difference between your face and your ass. So, but when I came into AA, I thought my face was my ass. My image was me. And then I had a spiritual anatomy class, and I realized i got to save my ass, not my fucking face. So that's what happened. <laughs> then we call it the original face. No face. Yeah? That, I see, you can have a sample of it by changing the directions of attention. Just see what happens. There'll be a pause, and there'll be a free sample. If you need some, you may not need that jolt. Any questions? More questions? <laughs> We're very Canadian. What? <laughs> You're very Canadian. Very Canadian to be quiet. Oh yeah. Ah, uh, don't be polite, man. We're telling my friends. I uh, I can't record this part. <laughs>